0: Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show. This is the Euro 2020 preview. Yeah, it's in June 2021, but that's the kind of year that we've had. It's sponsored by Skybet. I'm your host, George Ellick, and I'm joined by three expert guests. I'm going to come to you each one at a time, kicking off with Tipster. And I think When we first started the Odds Checker betting show about four years, Mark, you were one of our first ever guests on this, returning after a long absence. It's Mark O'Hare. Mark, for anybody who doesn't know, and I can't believe that those people listening and watching who like betting on football don't know who you are, give us a bit of a sense of of who you are and the work you've been doing leading up to this tournament.
1: Uh, Gosh, uh, thanks for the intro, George. I'm a football betting analyst, uh, freelance, basically trying to cover the top major leagues in Europe and uh, the four leagues in England a particular focus on the EFL like yourself in the lead up to the competition uh, the website which I run We Love Betting produced a 120 page guide to the Euros uh, trying to cover every team every market every bet really um, to try and find some value in the tournament so yeah quite a a painful operation so quite glad it's out of the way and uh, gets to now finally focus on the football next week. Yeah, disclaimer, I'm,
0: I have that book open in front of me during this recording as I go through. As a host, I think it's important to have all the information possible and certainly <laughs> that handbook has that there. Our second guest is Martin Lawrence from Who Scored? Regular listeners to this show and, and other stuff that we put out will know Martin very well. And I'm guessing it's been a busy time over at Who Scored as well.
2: Very much so. We have our own sort of e-guide as well, not anywhere near the level of um, <laughs> Mark's incredible debts in terms of the betting markets and stuff like that, which I've read as well. I've got, got a copy of that. It's sensational. Uh, so yeah, we've been working on that. We've got a few shows coming up as well throughout the Euro, so very busy, yeah. So I'm basically head of content at Who Scored and co-president of the Jack Realist. Um, Sound club with you, Georgia.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's it's annoying for me that I'm wearing this shirt. I'm, I'm going to be at Wembley um, for the England-Croatia game and this shirt will by then have Grealish Seven on the back. I can guarantee you that. And I can't wait yeah. to roar as he warms up for 90 minutes for the for the duration of the game. It's going to be exciting. Uh, two old stalwarts there from Mark and Martin and a rising star is our third guest in Raj Chohan making his debut on the Odds Checker betting show. You might know him better on social media as Premier League panel. A brilliant Uh, Tactical Insights uh, Twitter page uh, that I recommend everybody follows. And Raj, are you you looking forward to uh, getting stuck into this delayed tournament?
3: Yeah, cheers for the intro, George. Yeah, absolutely uh, buzzing for the tournament to start, to be honest. I think tactically, I think we'll see a lot of uh, interesting things I'm sure we'll get into. And yeah, really having that year delay, I think that's made me look forward to it a bit more because obviously last summer, we were all hyped for it. I think that's only grown even further. Uh, especially with obviously a difficult year, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned, I'm, I am going to um, to the Croatia game. Me and a friend of mine, what feels about four years ago now, we, we booked tickets blind to one of the games in Glasgow, thinking that maybe we were going to get lucky and get tickets to England, Scotland, at Hampden. Turns out we're now actually going to Czech Republic against Croatia at Hamden and, and then have to go and watch in <laughs> Scotland in a pub in Glasgow. So, this might be the last time you ever see me hosting this podcast, which would be a bit of a shame. This this show is is sponsored by Skybet, but this is an odds checker podcast and, and video. And we do ask you um, to download the odds checker app. It's the very best place for the best prices, which we'll be talking about today, the best place times, a whole range of markets, free bets, bookie offers, and everything else as well. So, do download the app and we'll get into the business side of things now and the way this is going to work rather than you know running through the markets and talking about all of the the teams and their odds i'm going to run through the prices for the outright winners just so we get a taste of, of who ranks where and then we're going to go through each of the six groups and try and touch on all the teams using all of your guys' insight and expertise as well And as it stands at the moment, when we're recording this uh, on Thursday, the 3rd of June at quarter past six in the afternoon, things can change very quickly, especially with certain tipping columns coming out and moving markets but france are the five to one favorites to win the euros england 11 to 2 a bit of a myth you know you'll hear people saying that's because you know it's an english market and it's a bit biased that's not the case if you go on the exchanges as well england rock solid second favorites belgium seven to one uh, third favorites germany nine to one alongside spain at the same price Portugal 10 to 1, Italy 11 to 1, the Netherlands are 12 to 1. Those eight teams, the favourites. Then you're getting into the outsiders. Next best price is Denmark at 30 to 1. So a big jump and then 40 to 1 bar. Before we talk about the top goal scorer, Golden Boot Market, I should point out that Skybet have a great pre-tournament offer. They're giving away £3 free bets every time your player scores at Euro 2020 when you bet £10 on them to win the Golden Boot. So you bat them to win the Golden Boot with a tenner. Every time they score, you get a free £3 bet straight in and these are the prices for that market. Harry Kane is the favorite, he is seven to one with Romelu Lukaku second up at 15 to two. That is with Skybet. Killian Mbappe is 10 to one, Cristiano Ronaldo 12 to one, Karim Benzema 18 to one, Memphis Depay 20s, Ciro Immobile 20s, Robert Lewandowski 25 to one. That's also with Skybet. Uh, Antoine Griezmann, 25s. Alvaro Maratta, 30 to 1. Timo Werner, the same price as well, 30 to 1. 40 to 1 bar. They are the front runners for the top goal scorer market. We'll start though with Group A. And in Group A, it is Italy who had well, who are the most likely team. This is in the uh, the winner market. Italy, standout price, 8 to 13, with Skybet to win the group. Switzerland, 11 to 2. Turkey, 13 to 2 and Wales 12 to 1. And Mark, I'll come to you here because Italy are a side who, under Roberto Mancini, seem to be you know they're probably too short a price to call them dark horses, but given the year that they've had, a lot of people seem to be quite convinced that under Mancini, this could be a side that could go all the way.
1: Yeah, and you can see the reasons why, uh, with Mancini in charge, because I think at international level, particularly in tournament football, you need a good coach to to guide you through the the treacherous waters, really, of knockout football. And Italy have got it all set up for them to get there with three group games in Rome. Uh, Their other sort of uh, teams, Switzerland, Turkey, Wales, will have to travel to Baku and back for matches. So there's definitely an advantage there for Italy. They've got a very strong home record in Rome as well. And they've been on a great journey since failing to qualify for the World Cup. Um, You know, he's picked up the the ruins and he's formed a a nice team, which is still kind of mixed between experience and, and youth. You've got one of the best midfields in the competition as well. Um, if Ferrati is fit and available, I think this talk he should be back hopefully before the, the knockout stage. Uh, a slight concern really about the centre-half partnership of Chiellini and Benucci if he still persists with that. You know, they're not getting any younger and <laughs> there's definitely been flaws in their performances for Juventus this season and also up front with Immobile as well who's never really done it in the Azuri shirt but uh, they have got the, the makings of a team that can go far. They've been in fantastic form in the last two years, uh, not conceding goals, grinding out victories, doing it not necessarily the, the old style Catanaccio, but uh, just doing it with a bit more flair, a bit more purpose in possession, uh, but also kind of keeping things reasonably solid at the back. So, yeah, I think it's possibly a year too early for them to go the distance, but I can see why people might want to be on them right now.
0: Raj, some interesting players, as, as Mark mentions there, who are you looking forward to seeing for this Italy side?
3: Yeah, I think Mark's right. This isn't a traditional Italian side. They've got a bit more, as he says, flair. They've got a bit more control in midfield. Unlike other Italian sides, they look to control the whole game through their midfield. I mean, there's a lot of good players there. You've got Jorginho, obviously, we all know from Chelsea. Uh, You've got Verratti, as Mark mentioned. And then this is the, the third guy's a guy I'm really looking forward to, Nico Barella. This guy's been a standout performer for Inter Milan this season. And probably, their, other than Lukaku, their second key player to really firing them to the Syria A title. So I'm looking forward to seeing him, him and how he meshes with Verratti and Jorginho. And then up front as well, I think Juve have had a pretty bleak season, but one of the standout sparks for them has been Federico Chiesa mm. off that right-hand side. And I'm really looking forward to see if he can translate that to the international stage because he's shown he can carry a team, even a team with Cristiano Ronaldo. He was one of their uh, best players um, even when Ronaldo wasn't performing. So I think he might be
0: able to do similar at the Euros. And loads of impressive and exciting players. And Chiesa certainly someone who it feels like could be one of the rising stars to come out of this tournament. We haven't spoken yet about who's going to score the goals yet, Martin, for Italy. And, and in Sierra Mobile, they have a player who should be capable of doing so, but seems to struggle to perform when he's not playing in Syria.
2: Yeah, I think Mark's right to highlight his sort of difficulties for Italy. Obviously, they've got Bellotti in reserve, but he's not really done it. The Azzurri either. So, I think the actual the, the team goal scorer market is an interesting one for Italy. You, Insignia's just come up, Um, But yeah, with him and uh, Chiesa on the flanks, I think that's their strength this time around, as well as that that sort of solid base in the field. I also think Manuel Locatelli is a really good option in midfield as well. He'll probably stand in for, for Verratti while he's out. And then when it gets into the latter stages, he's a bit more defensive. So, it may be a case that they actually stick with him. I know um, Raj has highlighted Varello as well. He's had a great season. But is a bit bit more technical. He's got a good creativity, but Locatelli's a bit more of a ball winner. So they've got that they've got those options to to vary it up in midfield. I think there's a cheeky bet on the top goal scorer for Italy if, if we look towards um, Jorginho, who could be on pens. I don't see them scoring a huge amount of goals. That would rely on them not going as far as as maybe they're being billed to. But if they if they got a few penalties, obviously there are a lot of penalties in the World Cup, then. Three goals might be enough to be the top scorer for that team, I think. And he's 25 to one to be Italy's top scorer. Obviously, he just ended the Premier League season as Chelsea's top scorer on penalties alone.
0: That 25 to one is with our sponsors, Skyber. And people often, I think, forget in these major tournaments that if a team doesn't go too far, then you can win this market with with one or two, um, which can often be the case. And as you say, Jorginho on penalties. And he's quite good at penalties as well. Um, Mark, I mentioned the 8-13 to there for Italy to win the group. Does that seem fair value for you? And if not, Who
1: would you reckon, out of the other three, would have the best chance of pushing them? I think it's fair for where Italy are at. I do think this is quite an interesting group because there's no obvious outsider, which makes it really, really competitive, makes the opening game against Turkey really significant from an Italian perspective. I kind of look to see who I can rule out, really, and um, I think Wales are probably going to be slightly better than the odds suggest. I think Turkey are probably where the odds suggest them to be. Switzerland would be the ones I think I can be opposing, to be honest. They've got a dreadful schedule, have to go to Baku, back to Rome, and then back to Baku for the third game, which is an absolute nightmare, a five-hour flight and across two time zones as well. So Mm -hmm. if I was going to have Italy, I wouldn't be backing them to win the group. I'd probably chuck Turkey in in the dual forecast um, for a bigger price. I think it's uh, just shy of two to one or around that as well. So that to me stands out more than just Italy, kind of any sort of pro-Italy angle, Uh, just bung in Turkey who... You know, a, a well-balanced team. They've got a strong defence and they can score goals too. Yeah, Italy, Turkey deal forecast five to two.
0: Best price. And Mark, before I let you go on this on this group, uh, you, you touched on it there. I was going to ask you later from a betting angle. This is a novel Euros because the games are being taking place across the whole of Europe. You mentioned there the the travel travel issues that certain teams are going to have, but also we've got loads of teams who are basically going to be enjoying home advantage. I mean, if England get to the, to the Euros final? I think they're going to play, is it one game away from Wembley over the course of the tournament?
1: You know, how much should people be looking at these things when choosing their bets in these kind of markets? For me, it's, it's quite significant. It really depends on, on the schedule and where these matches are taking place. So Group A is, is quite significant because that's a big journey between Baku and Rome. You've got Group D, England and Scotland being the hosts Glasgow and London and that's really not a significant journey is it so no. um, you've got to kind of make a, make a call on, on what you feel is, is an awkward schedule or what isn't check out rest days between matches and see who's got a slight edge and that might, might be it it might just be a very very small edge and it might not be anything to build into your bet but it's just something to bear in mind and particularly Also, when games are taking place against certain opposition, you know, if if, um, heavy favourites are playing, uh, if you're playing them in your last game, there might be an opportunity for them to sort of rest and rotate if they've already qualified. If you're playing them first up, they might be at their best. So, yeah, I think the schedule is very, very important and also where the games are taking place too. I mentioned Switzerland because out of the whole competition, they have got the worst schedule. So I do think it can be significant in in such a competitive pool like Group A. Yeah, Switzerland with a a bad schedule. Um, Looking... Uh, Raj, often
0: for these tournaments, you, you hear of teams who are called the dark horses so often that you kind of think, well, actually, they're not really dark horses if everyone's talking about it. And, and Turkey seemed to be one of those, but anybody will tell you they're actually quite a good side in quite a patronising way. But they, they are 66 to 1 to win the uh, the Euros, which might be a, a step too far. But they've got a couple of, of interesting players. Uh, anyone for you? I mean, are you subscribing to this idea that Turkey could be a team who, who surprise a few people?
3: Yeah, and I think, Uh, that recent result they had against the Netherlands in the last Mm. international break just shows that the 4-2 win, they absolutely tore through Frank De Boer's side, 3-0 up I think they went, Uh, they couldn't live with the attack and I think one of the old-timers I think is going to be a key for him, Burr Yilmaz Uh, he ended the season in brilliant form for Lille and I think that's one of the key components if you're a dark horse you need to have a reliable goal scorer, they've got that and then as you mentioned their defence is pretty strong as well, they've got three quality centre-backs, obviously Kegler, uh Soyuncu, we've seen at Leicester for the last couple of seasons. Kabak, who pr- did a pretty solid job at Liverpool, uh, coming in in pretty uh, tough circumstances. And then Mary Dem- Demirad as well, the Juve centre-back. So they've got some quality centre-backs, a goal scorer. Then they've got on the wings, they've got Yazichi as well. There's another component of that Lille title-winning side. And then from they've got goals from midfield as well, Hakan Chavanoglu. So there's definitely a few components to this team which makes them Pretty uh, worthy to be dark horses, to be
0: honest. Yeah, UMaz turns thirty-six. I think four days after the Euros final, uh, amazing season he's had. I think he's fifty to one top price to be top goal scorer in the Euros. Uh, Martin, we haven't really mentioned Wales too much here. Mark touched on them briefly. I mean, it's not ideal coming into this. You know, you look at the seasons that Gareth Bale's had, the season that Aaron Ramsey's had the season that, you know, the absent manager Ryan Giggs has had with Robert Page uh, taking charge. How do you judge their chances coming into this?
2: It's a tough one. Like you said, they're definitely com- not coming into it with the players in the form that they were five years ago when they, when they sort of upset everyone. But I think, to be fair, I think Gareth Bale's season's been pretty underrated, mm. uh, certainly in terms of his output. If you look at his uh, minutes per goal co- contribution, is actually best in the Premier League this season. He ended the season with more goals and starts. So that's not a player who's out of form and he looked pretty fit as well by the end of the season. So I think he's still a really big threat and can have, a, can have a really big say at this tournament. If he's fit and if he's firing, he's one of the best attackers at the tournament in my book. I know he's not overly reliable, but he tends to like playing for Wales more than he does for his clubs. So, yeah, I, think, I, think he, I still think he's, he's got it, so to speak. I think Dan James tends to perform pretty well for Wales as well. Uh, David Brooks is a good backup on the wing, so they've got options. I think what's interesting for Wales is that Rob Page has come in and he's he's actually fielded Harry Wilson as sort of a false nine, where before that um, Kiefer Moore was, was a target man and that actually playing pretty well for Wales. So that that decision to sort of make that change, it's quite a drastic change, Like they couldn't be more different really in terms of stature and playing style. I think that's interesting to see where they go, whether they revert to Kiefer Moore against sort of tougher teams where they need an out ball or not. So that'll that'll be something to look at. They don't really have a lot of depth sort of in central striking positions after that. And there's some issues with fitness of Ramsey, Ben Davies, not fit at all coming into it. Joe Allen's been injured. So fitness issues are a real concern and I think that might hamper them. But if they are fit, then... They're competitive in this group for sure.
0: Raj, where do you think you know? We've seen the development of of Gareth Bale. Well, I mean, development is, is a strange word. The transformation, I guess, in terms of a player over the past decade or so. How do you think he could he would best be utilized by Robert Page for the tournament?
3: He has been playing more of a free role, I'd say, for Wales compared to Spurs, where obviously Mourinho is expecting him to trap back and all sorts. And I think we've seen that's not really his game. I mean, in that North London derby, his performance was heavily criticised because of the defensive side of the game. So I think how Wales use him, giving him more freedom to then interchange with the likes of Wilson up top, I think that will get the best out of him. You want to reduce his work off the ball as much as possible. Number one, because of injuries, we don't want him. Uh, Wales won't want him picking up an injury in the, in, in the tournament. And number two, you just want him near the box as, as much as possible. Obviously, they haven't got as man, as many goal scoring threats as you'd like. So I think that's how you could probably use him best.
0: Yeah, interesting. Looking at the top Wales goal scoring market, Bayard is unbelievably short given the goal line for, for Wales must be fairly low. He's six to four um to be top Wales goal scorer. Kiefer Moore, who if he does get a nod up front, is seven to one. Harry Wilson 17 to 2, Aaron Ramsey 10 to 1. Um, you're a braver man than me if you're taking the, the six to four about Bale there when realistically one or maybe two will probably win it unless they go on a a mad run. And finally, just um, I should have said when Mark was uh, talking about Switzerland's issues, uh, you can get a bit of three to one about them to finish bottom of the group as well, which of course, given the 24 teams in this competition is probably what's going to have to happen if you're going to fall out at the the first hurdle. On then to Group B, where Belgium are the favourites to win the group at five to six, Denmark 11 to four, Russia 11-2, 11-2, to two, Finland 35-1 uh, to one to win the group, a massive price there. Um, and I know, Mark, that you like another team in this, but we are going to start with Belgium. So I'm going to skip you out and come to Martin here for, for Belgium. And it, it feels to me like this was Belgium's golden generation. We were all exciting, excited about it. It felt like the last World Cup was maybe in Russia was maybe one tournament too early. And here we sit and you look through the team and you're wondering, has their time already gone?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's the complete opposite. I think they've they've passed their peak. Personally, uh, particularly at the back, if you look at sort of the Tongan still in there, so much so that they're short at the back in terms of options. That Thomas Molyneux still in the squad, and they haven't really moved on in that regard. Obviously, he's a backup, but still, you'd you'd hope for more yeah, in terms of depth. And just in general, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne has got this injury, which is significant. I think depending on how long it keeps him out for, I don't think. I think there's a chance he misses the first game, but probably not beyond that, personally. So, and I, even without him, they're probably comfortable comfortable in this group. But I do think that Kevin De Bruyne is the well standout star, along with Lukaku. Obviously, Eden Hazard's well off his best, well off fitness, so he's an important player. Missing him will be a blow, but I, I just think that their their starting eleven isn't as strong as the competition. In some cases, to have them as third favourites, was it what sets them? Not a part, but gives them that chance is is having De Bruyne and having Lukaku and having that that partnership. That's that's where they're arguably got the best creator in football and one of the top three strikers of the tournament. So that combination is is huge. And don't get me wrong, there's there's good players besides, but the depth isn't isn't that great. Um, so I don't I don't think they're coming into this tournament at their best, but their record still still pretty sensational to be fair. <laughs>
0: Looking at the manager Raj as well, Roberto Martinez, it, it seems like managing Everton is just a gateway to be able to manage some of the best players in the world uh, <laughs> immediately afterwards. And it, it strikes me there's always a, a worry going into tournament football. Teams that seem to thrive in tournament football are ones who are defensively solid. And when you've got you know Vertonghen and you've got Aldevar past their best, and you've got a manager in, in Roberto Martinez who likes to play a high line. I mean, it's, it's it's pretty easy to start picking holes in their in their chances to keep goals out.
3: Yeah, I think that's always been one of my concerns with Roberto Martinez as a manager, even going back to his days at Wigan. They were, played brilliant free-flowing attacking football, but defensively, there was always some leaks at the back. And as you say, this ageing backline, I think even we saw that in the 2018 World Cup against Japan. They were looking to get through, really. The Japanese hit them on the counter-attack and took advantage of that ageing backline and got 2-0 up, I think it was. And then Belgium somehow came back and won 3-2. I think a few year, I think three years down the line now, that problem's only exacerbated. But what I will say, that front seven is absolutely brilliant. Even at wing-back, they've got some threats. Yannick Carrasco is a very underrated player for them. He's had an excellent season at Atletico Madrid on that left side, playing as a left wing-back, which will also be the role he'll get for Belgium. And then the other, other player I've really been a big fan of this season, Yuri Tiedemans, he's growing in influence in a Belgian shirt. I think we saw that against England. He was one of their star players. It wasn't really De Bruyne. It wasn't Hazard because he was injured. I think Lukaku was decent, but Tielemans was probably my man of the match in that win against England. So... Yeah, they have got some excellent players and late injury news for them. Axel Witsel, I think, is back for them in midfield, mm. which he is a key addition for them uh, to provide that balance to let the others go forward.
0: Romelu Lukaku is the second favourite to score the most goals in the tournament with Skybet uh, at 15-2. to two. Just thinking back, you know, we, we speak about the, the issues defensively, but, you know, the, realistically, Belgium are going to have to play unbelievably poorly not to qualify from this group. They're probably going to score a fair few goals. Remember that ridiculous game, I think, was it against, uh, it was against Japan and Russia, which was just... Yeah. Absolute basketball stuff. So, would you fancy him to, you know, to give people a run for their money in that market?
3: Yeah, I think he's going to bang a lot of the goals in, especially with that uh, service he's going to get from the wings, Carrasco, with Tielemans behind him, De Bruyne, Hazard, even Dries Mertin. So, yeah, I, I would expect him to feature in the top goal scorers list. And I think Lukaku's on penalties as well for Belgium, is he? Uh, especially with De Bruyne's recent record. Uh, if Hazard's not fit, I reckon Lukaku will probably take the pen. So, yeah, he, he'll definitely be up there.
0: Mark, I've ignored you for a bit, and that's because I want you to talk to me about Denmark. You know, I'm only doing this because Denmark are the team that I'm quite sweet on, and I read your nice little tipping piece uh, that you agreed as well. And they they seem to me just to tick a lot of boxes.
1: Yeah, for me, there's a there's a thing I want from a tournament team, and it's to be obdurate, hard to beat, and, and with a bit of something special in the final third. And I think Denmark tick a lot of those boxes. They have seen... A lot of market support as well. They were 100 to 1 around 12 months ago, now into 33 to 1. But you can see why. Um, starting with the group, they've got home advantage in all three games, which is great for them in Copenhagen. They've, um, since the last World Cup, they've got one of the best defences of all the teams competing at the competition 12 clean sheets and 21 competitive games. But it's just that ability to stay in games, which really appeal, appeals to me. They've lost twice in 90 minutes in competitive matches since October 2016. And both of those games are in the Nations League against Belgium. So obviously they've got Belgium to contend with in the competition. But apart from that, you know, you go back to the World Cup. They gave France a really good game. They went out on penalties to eventual finalists, Croatia. But they have evolved a bit more since then. They were quite direct, counter, counter-attacking counter based now under Kasper Kielmund. They're, they're a bit more modern. They like to play the ball around as well. They've got such a strong, solid spine. If you look through that team, Schmeichel in goal, Kier and Christensen, centre-half. Plenty of centre-halves in reserve as well. Hjoliburg and, and Delaney will give a solid base. Eriksson, you know, your match winner, your playmaker. The only issue really is a central striker. Um, Dolberg's not been doing it for a while. So Jonas Wind might take over there. Uh, Copenhagen, he's been playing very well. A bit injury-prone, but has the potential to, to step up. And then you got Poulsen and, and Braithwaite as well, who can chip in from the flanks, playing quite narrow. So uh, I really like Denmark. They'll be very difficult to beat. Do they have enough stardust in the final third to, to win tight matches? Possibly not, possibly so, uh, but I do like them. And certainly under Human, they're, they're scoring more goals. They scored 14 in three World Cup qualifiers in March against Austria, Iceland and Moldova. So, you know, they're coming here with momentum, feeling quite good about themselves. Uh, I think they've got a progressible group as well. Uh, and the sort of route towards the quarterfinals is is passable. So, yeah, I think they're a team to watch.
0: Yeah, 11-4 to win the group. Christian Eriksen's the 9-2 favourite to be their top scorer. And, and Martin, how has he developed I guess a lot of people wouldn't have seen much of Christian Eriksen since his move uh, to Inter from Spurs you know what's his role been like at Inter and how does that compare to, to the role he would be expected to take up for, for Denmark
2: it's been a difficult season he like a slow start particularly he did, he did start to have more importance throughout the season scored a couple of important goals in the cup as well so he's still very very much the same player very technical player but obviously when you're playing under Antonio Conte you do need that that bit of an edge and I think That will have been worked into him a little bit. I'd say that was probably his weakness. He looked always a little bit soft to me in the Premier League. We'll see a great player, but there is a lot of pressure on him to score the goals. Uh, I do agree, like Mark said, the core of their team is is really, really strong. It's just just that final third. Paulson, Braithwaite and Wind. like you say, probably going to be the sort of front three, as it were. None of them prolific um, by any stretch. So you're looking at Ericsson to score the goals. He does have a very, very good record for Denmark obviously on penalty, so I think he will be their top scorer. I think I wouldn't really look look beyond him, but comes into the tournament not in amazing form for, for Denmark. He's not scored in his last five, um, which isn't a barren run, but he's been in much better form than that. So maybe that sort of rustiness, that in and out he's been into, I think he started 17 league games. So he's not sort of flowing into this tournament. So that would be my one concern around them. I do think I do think they'll comfortably finish second personally in this group. And then I think I agree with Mark in terms of group A. I think Turkey finished second in that group. So I think that sets up a game with Turkey in the round of 16, which is a tough game, tough game to call, to be fair. Mm. I think that's a game that could easily go to extra final penalties. So like I say, they've got every chance of getting through to sort of quarter final stage. But yeah, that, the lack of goals probably stunts them at that point, in my opinion.
0: Raj, anything to add on Denmark?
2: I think
3: just Denmark, really, what impressed me were those games against England? I think back in yeah. the autumn, they were very well organised, tough to break down. And then physically, they win all their 1v1 duels, as Mark mentioned, with Hoyberg and Delaney in the middle of the park. Those two are real enforcers there. So you're not going to win many balls against them. But yeah, as a as guy said, uh, lack of goal scorer might hinder them.
0: Yeah, it does feel like that. I mean, R- Russia had a good well a great tournament and maybe it shows just how important home advantage can be back in the world cup but they come into this not necessarily fancy doesn't really speak to anyone's really talking about them martin how have they kind of developed over i mean is there anything to look out for here is there, is there any big change from that tournament or are they just a team who we can probably expect not to match those achievements from from three years ago
2: yeah i'd say they've not really developed to be fair so they've probably regressed a little bit you're still looking at the same players that are the, the real weapons for that side artem zuba is a an absolute handful up front. And then Alexander Golovin's probably the most talented player in the squad. Come back from a serious injury this year and actually came back very well from it. Uh, had a good season at Monaco, so he's still a good player. But when you've still got players like Yuri Zhirkov in the squad at 37, uh, you know there's an issue in terms of that sort of conveyor belt.
0: So playing, uh, isn't he, as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a decent chance he starts left wing back for them. So wow. that's that's a problem. Alexander Solovev, uh, Sobolev sorry, is one to watch in terms of... A backup striker, the Spartak Moscow strikers, had a very good season. I personally think there's there's a bet on them to finish bottom of this group. I think that, that it will be between them and Finland, obviously, but I think Finland could, could spring a surprise there, personally. But obviously, when you're looking at Finland, everything relies on Timo Pukki's fitness, really. Uh, he is a great finisher, a, excellent finisher. And I think Finland, they'll look to be this year's Iceland, but they're not, really, they're not that defensive a team. Up until their most recent game with Sweden, they'd scored 10 games in a row, so they do have a threat. They do carry a threat, and I think they could pose a problem to Russia. So that would be that would be my bet here. But I certainly think those two will be the bottom two in this group.
0: Yeah, just looking at the to qualify market, you can back Finland to qualify at eleven to four. Best price, so it could be one way to go. Uh, with Russia looking like they're going to struggle, uh, we'll move on then to Group C, and this is where Netherlands are the favourites to qualify at uh, two two to five. They are Ukraine twenty one to four, Austria six to one. North Macedonia forty-five to one. Netherlands mark finally back at a major tournament and come into it probably quite
1: hopeful of, of going quite far as they always seem to do if they get there. Yeah, they. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not too much. <laughs> I'm not too keen on the Netherlands to be honest with you. And um, they have got the best draw in terms of the FIFA rankings. Um, they have got home advantage as well in the groups. They have to or they should do. And if, if you look at the odds, they they absolutely pretty much will qualify from this group. But uh, from there on in. I'm not sure this team is led by the right character in Frank de Boer. Uh, I think maybe 12 months ago, with Van Dijk playing with Koeman and Charged, they had an opportunity to do something special. Uh, Kuman quite understandably wanted to go to Barcelona. Uh, Van Dijk got injured. And yes, they've still got quality centre-halves to come in. Uh, de Vrij and De Ligt will be absolutely fine. But it's still not the same as Van Dijk. He's such a leader, so influential. And Koeman just knows what he's doing, and I'm not sure Frank de Boer does. He was the fourth choice. Fans weren't particularly pleased about his appointment. He's already annoyed them with his style and approach and they've had to sort of tinker things. He didn't even bring up um, Wutwekhorst into the squad in March, uh, banging goals in in the Bundesliga and just kind of overlooked. Even just today, getting a player's name wrong or or calling out a player to be in his squad who's not even in the squad. You know, it's, it's just basic amateur stuff. But if you look at individuals, there is quality there. De Jong, Genie in midfield as well. Depay up front as well, of course. But uh, yeah, it's just can you trust a bore in it? In a knockout competition at the moment, I really can't, and I'm not sure the market can either. If you look at their their outright price, so considering how short they are to qualify, and then you look at where they are in the outright price, you can kind of see there's still a kind of nervousness around the Dutch, and uh, I would echo that as well myself.
0: You touched on Memphis Depay there, and Raj, I want to ask you about him because he's an interesting case where the move to United probably came a little bit too early. It's widely thought he's going to be announced as a signing for Barcelona sometime in the next week or so. And he's 20 to one to be tournament top goal scorer, despite, as Mark says, you know, they may not have they may have issues after the group, but they've got three home games in the group against the weakest opposition of any group itself. How do you see Depay um, as a threat amongst kind of the best goal scorers in this tournament?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm a big Memphis Depay fan, actually. Um, I think since his United days, his game has developed a huge amount. Uh, obviously, at United, he was more of a 1v1 winger. At Lyon, he's become a completely different player. He's become a creator, first of all. He often can thread those through balls in behind opposition defences. But this last season, his goal scoring is also taking on another level, really. You're seeing him a lot more aware of where to poach for goals in the box. I think that's because Leon has actually got a lot of better uh, surrounding crew around him now, so he can focus on his goal scoring. If Netherlands were able to progress, uh, but I have similar doubts to Mark that they can't, but if they do get further into tournament, yeah, he could definitely be one of the top goal scorers.
0: Martin, what are your thoughts on, on Netherlands? We've got yeah, Mark being fairly negative about their chances. Any positivity for any Dutch listeners and viewers, or are you pretty down on it as well?
2: I always like to agree with Mark, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I completely echo his sentiments. Uh, and I think he brought up some really interesting points in terms of, I don't think it's a happy camp. If you look at Jasper Sillison, they've just lost their first-choice goalkeeper. He's very, very upset about being left out. Obviously, he had a positive corona test, but he he didn't think that would impact him being in the squad, and it has, so they've dropped in. Tim Crawl will come in and he's a very capable backup, but that point about Veghorst as well, he's been in great form, and obviously put, picked him for this squad, which is thoroughly deserved, but the fact that he's so unfamiliar with the rest of the team around him could be a real issue, like he's never played with these players, really, so I do think Memphis is the obvious bet for their, for their top scorer, he's a he's a province, is exceptional, but yeah, under Dubois, they've failed to beat Mexico, Bosnia, Spain, Italy, Turkey and Scotland, in about nine or ten games, so yeah, Don't fancy them to win this group, personally. Interesting. Who do you think will? I fancy Ukraine. I just think they've got an upset in them. Obviously, finished above Portugal uh, in their qualifying group. They got battered by um, Spain and France, I think. But crucially, they've actually bounced back with positive results against both teams since then. So I I don't think there's... They don't have great squad depth, but I don't think there's a weakness in their starting eleven, personally. I think Rosalind Malinovsky will be one of the players to watch in terms of... Coming into this tournament in great form, 15 goals and assists in his last 11 games for Atalanta to finish the season. So yeah, I, I, I fancy him to stand out, and they've just got a good support cast, good young defence as well. Um, so yeah, I, I fancy them to to top this group. I don't fancy them to go ahead of a lot further than that, but I do think they can they can sort of topple Netherlands.
0: Well, on Sunday, the 13th of June, Netherlands play Ukraine at eight o'clock. Uh, in the evening, I'd have just got home having watched Jack Grealish uh, score twice against Croatia. But um, that presumably, Martin, gives us a bit of an opportunity to... Well, I mean, I, I'll ask Mark about the match odds here. You know, you've got Netherlands at a 4-6, so as short as 8-15 to 15 in a place to win this game. The draw 3-1, to one, Ukraine 11-2, best price at the moment. Surely an angle here that, you know, we often going into these major tournaments... You, you take a team like the Netherlands and you look at their group and you think, well, yeah, I mean, they're probably going to be OK. But actually, it's pretty rare that there's a massive gulf in quality between two international sides. Could there be an angle to, to oppose Netherlands from the get go?
1: Yeah, I was nodding along to everything Martin was saying because I'm a big fan of the Ukraine team as well. <laughs> an exciting team, quite an emerging team um, to consider what they've come through in the past two, four years with the off-field issues. Their doctor died of, of COVID last year as well, and they were deeply affected by covid during some of those Nation League games as well. So if you look at their past results over the past two years, it doesn't always give a, a fair picture. Um, they have been very competitive, even against some of the good teams when they fielded a strong 11. They're energetic, they're good in possession, they're well-drilled, organised. Uh, Andrei Shevchenko, you know, he's done a fantastic job there and I really like them. So they've lost four competitive games since September 2018. And yeah, you talk about those match odds, that's the first game in Group C for the two teams, which I think is always a bit of a banana skin for a heavy favourite. and. I wouldn't be too surprised at all if Ukraine got something from that match.
0: Raj anything for you from from Ukraine any players from these other teams in the group as well that you you know we've got Austria who we saw England kind of toil against a bit last night uh, any any players from these guys who you're looking forward to watching
3: Yeah I think Ukraine they've got as um Martin mentioned uh, Ruslan Malinovsky. he's an absolute uh, he's got an absolute hammer of a left foot so I'm looking forward to seeing what he can provide In this group stage. I think also Marlos is a player who caught my eye back in the Champions League. Shakhtar played Real Madrid and they upset them and Marlos's creativity in between the lines was key to doing that. He's a very technical player, very nice to watch. So those two for Ukraine. Austria, I think we we saw they're quite defensively well organised against England, to be honest. We struggled to break them down, but they've still got a bit of class there as well. David Alaba, obviously. Konrad Leimer is another favourite player of mine for Leipzig. He's been injured this season, but he's, his energy going box-to-box box and his technical quality will be key for Austria.
0: Do you think Austria could could be another side who could serve it up to, to Netherlands then, Raj?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think as a, a Netherlands, the problem with them is also Frank de Bors completely ripped up the tactical blueprint, it seems now, against Scotland yesterday. He started with a free at the back and Weghorst up top, as uh, Martin mentioned. So he's thrown out what Koeman had built success on and he's now last minute tried to do a tactical tweak so it definitely serves up a chance of an upset for the likes of Austria and Ukraine I think when you've got such disorganisation in your tactical setup that kind of brings down the level of your individuals so I think that that could definitely happen.
0: Anyone got anything to add on North Macedonia? I think in terms of a bet uh,
2: I quite like LFL Elmas to be their top scorer because you probably only need one and he's scored in his last three internationals a lot of people look to Pandev but he's 68 (laughs) <laughs> um so I don't, I don't see it midfield's not too bad uh ariana dami is a good solid midfielder captain of dinamo zagreb look like he's fresh out of the taken franchise he's he's a battle-hardened midfielder they've got Enis uh, ennis bardi there who plays in um in la liga as well he's got a good long shot on him so they've got some players but i'd, I'd fancy them in the lowest goal scorer market in the tournament and like i said one goal will probably do it in my opinion, I think Elmas is a is a decent price. I think he's twelve to one
0: with Skybet. Four, to yeah, be there. fourteen to one, a bit a bit of that as well. Uh, and you can also back no no North Macedonia goal score at five to one. So you kind of dutch them and hope that if they do get a goal, uh, it's it's your man there um,
1: as well. Uh, anything to add, Mark, on on any of these sides? Um, I think North Macedonia will be slightly better than people probably expect. Um, they're well drilled. They're very energetic, and we've seen with the likes of Albania five years ago when they get to this stage. it's Such a significant qualification that they put everything into it. They'll also be one to follow for the cards. Um, They have been racking the bookings up over the past few years. I think they are the most carded team in the competition uh, in competitive matches since uh, the last World Cup. So that's one to watch. But uh, you're not not a big fan of Austria, to be honest. A lot of decent players, but uh, a very cautious coach in Franco Foda. There's a lot of pessimism around uh, the team coming to this uh, championships, despite having some decent players all spread around Bundesliga, but I would look to Sasa Klasinac up top, who looks to be getting the, the nod uh, ahead of edge will be the tallest player at the Euros. Great with his feet as well, though. Six foot seven scores goals, had a great season with Stuttgart as well. My issue with Austria, though, is just trying to, to fit the system to, to get the best out of those players. Alab has been shifted around all over the place. Sabitz has never really done it. Baumgartner doesn't always get the nod either, considering he's been really good for, for Hoffenheim. So, a few question marks over them, but definitely like Ukraine. I just think North Macedonia will be competitive, but probably fall a little bit too short.
0: Yeah, maybe Ukraine, the ones to take on Netherlands there with both 11-2 uh, for that first game on the Sunday and then also to win the group possibly as well, uh, just a bit bigger than 5-1. to one. There is one more Skybet offer to tell you about as well, and this is for England's opening game against Croatia. They are offering a £5 free bet when you place any bet on the game. What an offer that is, any bet on the game, you get a £5 free bet for England's opener against Croatia. It doesn't get much better than that. Uh, On then to group D, and this is England's group. And England are two on, one to two to win it. Croatia, seven to two. That's with Skybet. Czech Republic, 12 to one. Scotland, 18 to one. Uh, And Mark, I'll stick with you. As I said at the top of the show, you know, often when I'm speaking to to people about the Euros, and and I mentioned that England are favourites or second favourites, they're like, ah, it's it's a joke. It's just because, you know, it's English bookies and stuff. But as I mentioned, you go onto the exchange and there's money queuing up there. You can basically lay England at, at that price. So it is justified it's not a false price do you think it's a false price do you think england should be justifiably second the second most likely team to to win a trophy
1: yeah yeah i think it's, it's i think it's absolutely fair the price um they were second favourites to win the world cup in 2006 but you have to say this is probably their best chance to win a major trophy since 1966 and you just have to look at the frightening array really of attacking talent they've got available to them so it's just whether the southgate can, can unlock that attacking potential Uh, give the team a bit of room to breathe and and play uh, not necessarily attractive football but winning football and scoring goals because he has been caught between this versatility of trying to play a three-man or four-man defence, two-holding midfielders. It can be a little bit too cautious at times. I understand that might be required when you get to the knockout stages against certain opponents but sometimes you need to play to your strengths and I'm not sure right now his strength is a centre-half if Harry Maguire is not fit. Is there a soft underbelly there, potentially, if Henderson's not there either? But they are superbly stocked up front. Um, A concern, many of the players were on Champions League duty. They're quite young, they're quite inexperienced, maybe a bit fatigued there as well over the course of the campaign. And also there's that weird conundrum now, if they win the group, they arguably might have a a, a harder route towards the final as well. Croatia up first will be a decent barometer of where England are. I think they'll go well, uh, but I'm not a backer of the price. I just think the knockout stage is coming up against a a team from Group F potentially would be very, very difficult. Just in the England sub-markets, you can get five to six and then England to score under nine and a half goals, which I thought was quite interesting, really, considering I know I said they've got so much attacking talent, but it's not often we see teams hack up and score 10 goals or more. Mm. There's no Panama in the group this time around either. So um, I think if you look at the (laughs) opponents England are up against They're all shrewd enough to keep the score down reasonably well. I think it will be a trickier group than potentially people think it might be, but they should navigate it with room to spare. And then from there, you know, you're putting your trust in Southgate and um, I haven't really got that far yet. Um, I think the (laughs) World Cup performances were slightly overrated despite the memorable campaign. Uh, I think there's still something to prove
0: there. I'm going to pick up on that and ask Martin about Southgate. But before I do so, Raj, I'm going to put you on the spot. During the time of, of Martin's answer, I want you to come up with what would be your stock 11 in, in formation for England's at the Euros. Okay. So I want formation and I want know I want the 11 too. So you've got about two minutes to work that out. Yeah. Martin on Southgate, it is funny how the narrative has changed where you've got this guy in his three piece suit in Russia bringing football home and he's everyone's best mate. And, you know, I remember even saying that's, let's give him the job for life and even make him Prime Minister. <laughs> and then in, in between that happening and us getting here, the squad has improved. We've won the Europa Nations League and yet, so we've got to the Europa Nations League final. And then, you know, the, the general consensus amongst England fans seems to be that he is probably the thing holding this team back. And I think I probably agree.
2: It's difficult. I, I don't think it's always that straightforward to manage such a good squad. It sounds like a stupid yeah, thing yeah. to say. But to have the options that he does is difficult. It really is. I think Raj has got a job on his hands naming that starting 11, to be <laughs> fair. I do agree. He's not, he's not developed the side as much as you would want, certainly, over the last um, three years. But there's been issues throughout those three years off the field as well. So he's not had, a, he's not had an easy ride, I don't think. Uh, I still think he's an extremely likeable character, but it's just whether he's that, he's that coach. I think he's a really good man manager. I think what he's done with the camp is brilliant. In terms of that, they all seem to get along really, really well, and that's very, very important in a major tournament. Was part of the big reason why they went so well in the World Cup. Like I said, like Mike, uh, Mark says, I don't think their performances were that great, but the unity within the camp was very, very strong. So yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a very difficult job to pick England's best starting eleven. I, I change my mind on a weekly basis basically, and I don't even have Jack Grealish in it every time personally. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's a tough job. Um, some might say it's an easy job because he's got a ridiculously strong squad and I do think, I do think they justify the price because I do think it's, it's them and France who have the two strongest squads in the tournament and the squads will be important this time after such a sort of concertina season so to have those options where you can bring on subs that don't actually, don't devalue the side at all is something that England have that other teams don't they do justify that price but I do agree that Southgate hasn't really quite kicked them on yet
0: yeah, interesting as well. With five subs being able to be used as well, you're going yeah. to see these teams with filled out squads, yeah. being uh, these players being used. And also, I mean, I'm interested to see. You know, we know that Gareth Southgate is a guy who looks for marginal gains in major tournaments. We saw that with the way he approached set pieces in Russia. I'm excited to see what the development of the love train is going to be. What are we going to see? Um, what what kind of set piece uh, formulation are we going to see Gareth come up with for that first game against Croatia? Raj, have you got your have you got your eleven?
3: Yeah, I think I've just about got it. Yeah. So, what well, I will say before, at the start of the season, I'll say I was quite downcast, particularly from a tactical point of view on England's setup, because it looked like Southgate had gone back to the free centre backs and we ground out some really poor performances against Iceland. I think we're last minute penalty. Yeah. We drew to the Danes and we lost to Belgium. I think the win against Belgium was slightly fortuitous. I think we got a bit lucky there. But yeah, the performances weren't good. So, I'm quite pleased now. It looks like Gareth's gone back to that uh, four at the back setup. Uh, looks like a bit more of a 4-2-3-1. So, yeah, I think in goal, I'd, I'd probably stick with Jordan Pickford on balance because just because he's settled in the team, uh, everyone knows how he plays, his style of play, his distribution's pretty good. But, yeah, so I'll go with Pickford in goal. Walker, I'd probably go with at right back. I think a lot of people saying Reese Rhys James, but he's not actually played much in a back four for Chelsea this season. He's been playing mainly in a back five. So I'd probably go with Carl Walker's experience at right back. And then I think Stones and Maguire are a no-brainer at centre-back. Hopefully Maguire's fit. Uh, left back, I think Chilwell and Shaw, it's a real tough one, to be honest. Shaw has that. probably had the best, yeah, very, very difficult. I think Shaw's probably had a more consistent season, but Chilwell's ended the season brilliantly. He was one of Chelsea's main outlets in the Champions League final. I was really impressed with his performance. To help bypass that pet uh, press, I think Chilwell was used more times than not to get out of there and then uh, supply the forwards, even for the goal. And then in front of that, I probably have a holding to Declan Rice, and then hopefully Henderson's fit. If not, I think we've seen enough positive signs from Jude Bellingham to give him that slot if Henderson's not fit. I think yesterday he was very good, and I was impressed by his off-the-ball discipline as well. I think even for Saka's goal, it was Bellingham winning the ball back in midfield that helped set up that attack uh, and gave you a chance, your boy Grealish a chance to create. And then this is where I bet That better not be the last you. time you say his name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think I might disappoint you in this one. Um, <laughs> I think Mount's spot is pretty much nailed on. I think Southgate, Southgate loves his off-the-ball work. And I think we've seen a leap in his creativity as well in the last few months at Chelsea. On the right, I'd have Phil Foden, I think. There's a blueprint that Southgate's kind of gone for, I've spotted recently. He wants two creators more who, like, come towards the ball. and Then he wants a runner in behind as well on the wing. So Foden and Mount would have interchanging positions off the right and in the number 10 position. And on the left-hand side, I wouldn't have Grealish. I think that upsets the balance of the attack if you've got another kind of player in between the lines like Grealish creating. So I'd probably, this might be unpopular, but I'd probably go with Marcus Rashford. So I think he's, for the tactical fit of the side, I think he's most comfortable running in behind, providing that threat in behind, particularly as Kane drops deep a lot. So you want a runner to stretch defences. Sterling, doesn't. Really, he's more of a 1v1 dribbler rather than providing that optimal movement. So I'd, ru- I'd probably go with Rashford off the left, and then obviously Kane up top.
0: It's coming home, isn't it? I think that's what that's what I'm taking from that. It, it's an interesting point yeah, you make definitely. about about Bellingham because it does feel to me like he's the one England player who's gone from being will you or won't you get in the squad to now a will he start. And as somebody who you know, I'm, I'm a massive Calvin Phillips fan. I have been you know throughout his development at Leeds. You know, I was I was not a Calvin Phillips fan before he before Marcelo Bielsa turned up at Leeds when he was this kind of. Bizarre boxer, box midfielder. But as that midfield linchpin, he's great. But you see when he plays in a four, so when he plays in a sitting two, he's never done it before and he looks a bit lost. And I think he needs to be a player who plays as that in that kind of withdrawn role within a three. And it seems like the tactical flexibility that Southgate's going after, where he seems to insist that, you know, we're going to be switching between a three at the back and a four at the back could be when he comes into it. But I like that team. And, and it's a point I've seen made a couple of times as well, that we need you know, a Grealish Mount um, and, and Foden... Behind Kane front four, you know you're going to struggle to break down a low block with that because there's going to be a lot of passing, but not much incision uh, and pacing in behind. So yes, Raj, I'm a bit gutted, but as so long as he comes off the bench, I am fine. <laughs> Let's talk about Croatia then. And, and Mark, you know it's it's fresh in us England fans' memories watching us in a in a World Cup semi-final where our, you know game state may be suggested uh, and, and create a situation where Croatia were going to be on the front foot. But you know this Croatia team hasn't changed a great deal from the one that you know outclassed England in a World Cup semi-final. Of course, there was the Nations League game a couple of years later that went England's way. But the prices suggest that England have, have kind of gone to streets clear of this Croatia side. Is, is that fair?
1: England has certainly taken a step forward. I think Croatia have taken a step backwards. There have been retirements, Manzukic and Rakitic, the, the obvious ones. But they did struggle with the, a hangover from the World Cup, which is understandable, really, considering the highs that they were on. Struggled for form, tried to experiment a bit in the Nations League. But the numbers have been pretty awful, if you look at it across the, the two, two three-year spell, uh, across 24 competitive games, they've lost nine of those, conceding an average of 1.62 goals per game, which is the worst of all the 24 qualifiers. They do have an exceptional midfield still, but Luka Modric is still absolutely key to that, and he's, what, mid-30s now. Uh, Brozovic will hold, and he'll be doing a decent job. But they've got no real standout number nine. A plethora of forward options. Kramaric, probably the. The highlight there after a fantastic season, despite being injury blighted as well. But someone like Nikola Vlasic has made uh, the number ten, or well, sorry, the the sort of free role behind the striker quite his own. He's had an excellent season for Dynamo, played very well for Croatia when he has an opportunity. Former Everton player, he's one to watch really because he's one of the Slako uh, Dyach's his favourites. But I'm not overly keen on Croatia. Have to be said, I do think they've gone backwards. Uh, I think they've aged. I look at that defence as well. Rashalko is. Uh, not played too often, his fitness is always any question. And you're looking at the centre-half options of Czartic, Karl Lovren uh, and Vida, none of which kind of excite me or inspire me at all from this Croatia team. So, um, yeah, too many kind of quality forward players in attacking midfield, but not enough really defence and no kind of standout striker to score the goals. So I think they'll be fine in the group, but uh, from there on in, uh, I'd rather be against them.
0: It looks like a tussle for that third likely um, qualification spot between Czech Republic and Scotland, according to the odds, Martin. Um, Scotland come into this, uh, I guess, whilst the fans will be absolutely delighted to be there, I think they'll fancy themselves to, to be able to put up a pretty good fight in this group. And certainly for the England match, we'll be hoping to come away with not only a win against the old rivals, but some revenge for what happened a few years ago.
2: Yeah, I agree. Steve Clark's done a very good job, and they've got they've got talent in the squad now, which they they haven't had for quite a few years. They've got a very competitive midfield. They've got decent options. Obviously, at left back, you, you'd, you'd hope to have a you'd have, <laughs> hope to have a right back, but that's not really worked <laughs> out for them. But yes, yeah, so, so much so uh, in terms of the options in midfield that obviously Scott McTominay often plays the centre back. I don't think Scotland fans really like that. I think they'd like to see him in midfield, but then you sacrifice. One of Ryan Christie or Callum McGregor, probably is both influential for Celtic in their unbeaten season. So you've got players coming into, into the tournament confident. John McGinn, obviously a real goal threat for, for Scotland out of nowhere, really. So the, the midfield is strong. Shea um, Adams is a, is a big boost, I think, just because I think McGinn's the top scorer in the squad by a distance. And he's got around 10 goals. I don't think there's many players that scored 10 goals for Scotland in the last 20 years. Uh, they've really lacked a sort of uh, a goal scorer, and, and Shea Adams Pivert isn't really that, but he, he is a he is a quality um, link up player. He can bring others into play, and he can bring players like McGinn into it with those forward forward runs. So they've got a decent squad, and they've got a decent chance of getting out of this group. They'll look at the fact that they've beaten Czech Republic twice this season. I think Czech Republic are a, a strong side as well. I think it's a I think it's a very competitive group. I think Croatia aren't aren't levels above those two. Um, they probably are a little bit better, but I agree with Mark that. I'd say they've probably only improved in one position since the World Cup, and that's it's probably left-back with Borna Barasic coming in over Ivan Strinic, but the rest has probably regressed, like you said, but a lot of their team are into their 30s. So, yeah, I, I don't really fancy Croatia. I agree that they'll go through, but I don't think they'll get further than the round of 16. So, yeah, Scotland, Scotland I, I, I fancy them to, to qualify, personally. I think, they can, I think they can beat Czech Republic, and that'll probably be enough. I think they may well be able to get a draw against Croatia as well, so I think they can qualify. Yeah, so that that would be my bet. I think they'll qualify in third
0: person. Ross, you agree? Scotland over Czech Republic?
2: Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. I think
3: Scotland at least have a formula of how to score goals, which I think is key. I think obviously with that left-hand side with Tierney and Robinson, they've got fantastic delivery. And then they love to flood the box with midfield runners. And one man who specialises at that is John McGinn. He's excellent at trying to find a bit of space in the box. And I think that actually has is something England need to be wary of, especially if Harry Maguire is not there, tracking those runners from midfield. I think even the second goal against Holland yesterday came from Robertson, whipping one in. Oh, I think it was Kevin Nisbet who scored. So that that's definitely something to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to find the, the price for McGinn to be top Scotland goalscorer because he's someone... Martin, you know, we've spoken about his teammate a fair bit here. As a Villa fan yourself, I mean, he's, he's a player who, given licence to get forward, is certainly good for goal. Six to one, he is top of Scotland goalscorer. Shea Adams, five to one. Ryan Christie, six to one. Lyndon Dykes, I mean, I, I, Mark, you can say, as, as a QPR fan, Lyndon Dykes basically only scores penalties, doesn't he? So um, that six to one, again, <laughs> could, be, could be the way to go. Yeah,
2: I think so. I think it is the way to go, uh, personally. Uh, another point on Czech Republic, just... Just while I'm there, why I think Scotland will probably finish above them. They've they've, they've had uh, the blow that Lucas Provard is out. He's probably one of the best players in the Czech Republic this season, and they're they're also missing back Lev Cherny, who's a, who's a promising young winger who plays in the division So I think they're they're lacking options out wide, even though they've got they've got obviously the two the two West Ham boys who have been excellent this season, and Patrick Schick's a decent striker. But I think injuries will will hamper them. But yeah, John McGinn all the way. <laughs> Top scorer in the tournament, mate. Top score, golden boot. I'm
0: having it. You got back to it. Uh, looking at the qualifying market in Group D, Czech Republic are, are favourites um, ahead of Scotland at even money. Scotland's six to four best price. That Czech Republic even money is with Skybet, but six to four Scotland, if you agree with the lads that they are the team who are going to scoop up that probable third spot in terms of qualification. Two more groups to go, and then I'm going to ask you all for your Kind of rounding off predictions, and this is the group that includes a Real Madrid less Spain, who are two to five to uh, win the group, Sweden 13 to two, Poland seven to one, Slovakia 25 to one. And, you know, we mentioned uh, at the top mark that this looked like the Netherlands had a fairly simple time for qualification. The same's got to be said here for Spain.
1: Yeah, you'd hope so. Uh, three home games in Seville will help. I know two of them are pretty late in the day but I think the Slovakia game is at 6 p.m local time which knowing what Seville's like in summer that is it's going, going to very be very hot, hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which is clearly an advantage to them. I, um, I,
0: I had a holiday there in March a few years ago and it, it put my whole like seasons out of kilter for the rest of the year I couldn't understand what was going on the <laughs> 35
1: degrees. Beautiful place but don't Great go there place. in the summertime. No. Yeah they've they've undergone a, a big transformation of the Luis Enrique um, certainly in style um, Raj will tell you about that, but that's certainly not tiki attacker these days. So, like he did with Barcelona, he likes to play a lot more direct, a lot more fast with the ball, uh, get the ball forward quick. But uh, the transformation in squad, he did promise when he was appointed that the Euros was the aim, and he was going to pick on form rather than reputation. And God, he has, hasn't he? You know, mm-hmm. leaving Ramos out was was big, but I thought leaving Nacho out was even bigger because there's a player I think has been one of Real Madrid's best defenders across multiple positions this season, particularly after Christmas, um, leaving him out and selecting someone like Eric Garcia, who's barely played for Man City. Laporte as well, big call. So you're looking at potentially Laporte and Pau Torres at centre-back. You know, decent, but there's not going to be much of an understanding there. And in midfield, I think sort of you've got Busquets, Santiago and Koke, and Yeah, they're OK, but they're kind of... I don't know if their they're, they're time's gone. So you want to look towards Ferran Torres and Marcus Llorente as as the guys who are going to sort of uh, star for Spain. Um, I know you can look towards the 6-0 against Germany last year where they played with wonderful pace and ruthlessness and consistency, but outside of that, there's a few. There's too many times now I've seen Spain play, dominate possession, dominate the territory, dominate the opportunities in front of the goal, but not had that clinical touch. And Alvaro Morata or Gerard Moreno, who's had a fantastic season with Villarreal, the options. I don't know. I just look at the Spain team compared to others in terms of full squad first eleven they fall down compared to others. So yes, the group is manageable. They've got lucky enough to have home advantage as well, they tend to start slowly as well, it should be said. Uh, One major tournament win uh, from the last five openers and they play Sweden first, which is no gimme at all. Uh, We'll talk about them, but they're uh, difficult to beat. So yeah, I think they should negotiate the group for sure. But beyond that, I'm not too keen on Spain going really far in the competition.
0: I mean, Mark mentioned there some of the the younger players who who maybe don't have the reputation yet of their predecessors in Spain shirts: Ferran Torres, Iurrenque, um, Pedri, as well. Who are you looking forward to see kind of try and make a name for themselves for Spain?
3: I'm a big fan of Marcos Iurrenque. Actually, he he's been playing mainly in midfield for Atletico, but there are some rumours that he may be selected at right back for Spain because Aspeliqueta is the other option. And I, as Mark mentioned, the, these guys now at Spain they want to play with a lot more width and pace. Uh, at y. so I think Enrique's fullback choices will indicate a lot. Often on the left, he goes for Jose Gaia ahead of Jordi Alba because he wants that extra pace. Even though Alba's still a world-class fullback, it's about the style of that uh, Alba uh, that Gaia can provide with that pace going down the left. And if you've got Irenki down the right as well, I think that might indicate which way Spain will go. Unless he goes for the more conservative Aspen de Queta, then I wouldn't really go for that, but he may end up doing that in the end. But yeah, in midfield, they're still absolutely stacked. But as Mark says, they're not about tiki-taka anymore. They're about getting the ball quickly and more directly in behind the defences. Uh, obviously, you've got some classy players there. I think he may go for a Rodri, Coque. Those two have been two of the main figures in midfield. And then the third spot is up for debate, really. Personally, I'd probably go with Fabian Ruiz, this guy is an absolute physical beast, but technically he's phenomenal as well. But there's every chance he might go for Pedri. But I think Pedri has faded a lot in the second half of the season. I think Ronald Koeman didn't manage his load very well and that has resulted in a bit of fatigue. So I'd probably go with Ruiz in that left slot. It's interesting how Mark mentioned about reputations. Tiago Alcantara is often benched under Enrique. So obviously he doesn't really... Uh, care for his reputation. As also Mark mentioned, Ferran Torres is a key outlet for them up front. I think a big miss for them is going to be Anthony Fati. This guy, I, I had a big feeling this was going to be his breakout tournament. I think at the start of the season for Barca, he showed what he could provide. So he's a big miss. But yeah, I expect that front three to be probably on the right. It, it will be Ferran. And then on the left, it'll be Dani Olmo. He's more of a playmaker than up front, Alvaro Morata. Uh, and Enrique asked him to drop deep quite a bit and get involved in the link-up play. So yeah, that that'll be kind of style they'll go with, I think.
0: the Almo, an absolute Swiss Army knife of football, that seems to be able to do absolutely anything you ask him to. So Martin, how do you see Spain here? We have Raj there, obviously talking up some of the players who are going to be coming into the side. Mark fairly negative on their prospects after the group stage. Where do you find yourself?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with Raj. I actually think Marcus Sorrente could play at right back, and I think that I think, I think that would be. It. A shame, really, given the output that he's had in Atletico, that just staggering <laughs> increase in end product from absolutely nowhere. Formerly a defensive midfielder and now sort of bangs in goals, gets assists. I think he's close to double figures for both, if not if not reached them this season. So, yeah, I think it'd be a shame if he starts to right-back, but I think he will. And I, I agree, um, Ferran Torres will probably be a big player for them this summer. got a decent record uh, since he's come into the Spain side. Obviously, he's got a bit of competition there from... Adama Traore will be an interesting player to see if he, he's involved. Good impact sub, if you can get him. Uh, and Moreno, I would like to see him start up front, but often plays off the right for Villarreal. I, I'd personally like to see him start ahead of Morata, but I do agree that Morata will probably get the nod. So, yeah, I agree with Mark. It's not it's not the strongest Spain squad that we've seen, and that, I, I agree that that sort of new centre-back pairing could be, could be an issue, especially leaving Ramos out for such a massive call.
0: Mark, well, i come to you next on the other three teams, the Poland boss, Paolo Sosa, uh, a man that you probably didn't expect to be talking about a few years ago, managing Poland, uh, given his, his uh, historical managerial history uh, in, in England. And then you've got a Sweden side who you mentioned could be tricky opponents for Spain and then Slovakia, who I think you mentioned off you're not too keen on. So just run us through your thoughts on those three.
1: Yeah, Poland are an interesting one because they changed their coach in January to Paulo Sousa with the idea of being more attack-minded and more focused around Robert Lewandowski, who was growing frustrated about the defensive style that they were sort of grinding results out with. Still to see, you know, it's very early days, um, how they're going to, to set up in this tournament. But uh, sounds like Milik's had a couple of injury issues. The idea was to partner him with Lewandowski and Zielinski as a playmaking role. And that's quite an exciting trio, really. Defensively, I think that's where they can be caught out um, quite slow, quite cumbersome. They're trying to play a high line now as well, which is you know a recipe for disaster with that kind of pace and defense. And I think the squad's regressed as well since the World Cup when they were kind of dark horses by by many people's ideas. So I like Sweden a lot. I think Yanny Anderson is a, a safe pair of hands, worked miracles really in, in the domestic game in Sweden. They are traditionally everything you expect from a Swedish team. They're efficient, they're effective. Those Latin, of course, but they've got plenty of players who can fill that void and an emerging class really of, of forwards who are quite exciting. Um, Marcus Berg might get the nod still at centre-forward, bit of a target man, but you've got Alexander Izak who can play off him. Kuliszewski can play up front or from the flanks, a player who hasn't shown his best to Juventus this season but certainly is talented. Jordan Larson scoring loads of goals in Russia. Quite a narrow 4-4-2, but you've got Forsberg creating from the left, Ekdal shielding. Olsen who's done a good role box-to-box as well. So they've got players in in areas now who can make game changers, really, which they haven't always had. Uh, Always got a solid foundation, Lindelof there as well organised, unit. Um, I just think they're going to be difficult for teams to beat, which is kind of what I look for, really. Yeah, don't like Slovakia at all. I've had the um, unpleasure of having to watch them too many times over the past 18 months, and um, it's been dull. Um, They played a 4-6-0 formation against the Republic of Ireland in a playoff, barely created anything and scraped through on penalties. Similar against Northern Ireland. Key players in kind of defensive areas in Skriniar and Lepoca. uh, Kuka, a decent box-to-box player, but Everything relies on Hamshik, who's kind of moved back from China to Sweden to try and be fit and, and firing for this tournament. But outside of him, it's just dull, it's insipid, it's lacking anything really. You know, I think they've lost 10 games and 23 competitive matches since September 2018. Failed to score in 35% of those. Generated an xG average of 0.88. Tried to change the coach in order to turn things around, but uh, it's just been ugly. They'll try and pull the bus and grind something out. So yeah, I'm against them in quite a few different markets. Lowest goal scorers. In the tournament, Slovakia to score under two and a half goals at five to six as well with Skybet uh, to finish bottom of the group as well. You know, all of them, I've took them all off.
0: Every market against Slovakia could find. The only one I could find that you didn't mention was no Slovakia goal score is eight yeah. to one as well, uh, which could be a good way to go given those uh, those underlying numbers. Raj uh, and Martin, I'll, I'll let you guys split up. Um, I think for any Slovakian fans listening, I think we better leave them alone now unless you've got anything positive to say. But I'll, I'll let you guys split up Poland and um, and Sweden between the two of you. I mean, one, one bet that's sure to be pretty popular in, in people's hackers is Robert Lewandowski is eight to eleven with Sky bet to be top Poland goal scorer. I mean that's just sure Raj is that just printing printing yeah. cash?
3: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that actually. I've got an interesting stat: Lewandowski's Ooh. actually only got one goal in his last eight starts at World Cup 2018 and Euro 2016. So Poland haven't actually been able to get the best out of him in major tournaments. So I think that's obviously going to be the key. Paulo Sosa's flitted between a three-five-two and a four-four-two. Ideally, I'd go with a 3-5-2 because I think you need to get Zielinski as a 10 as close as possible to Lewandowski to provide that creative link-up. A lot, a lot of Poland's other players don't really have that kind of special creative ability. So that's what I'd be looking to do. But yeah, that, that kind of past record for Lewandowski kind of hints at Poland's past troubles in uh, major tournaments. So that will be the key. How, can they get the best out of him? Other than that, I think Milik's obviously a good player. He's moved to Marseille in January on loan and he has found a bit of form. Piontek's injured unfortunately for the polls so it will be relying on Milik to try and forge a partnership with Lewandowski it's going to be can they get the best
2: out of it and it it is a valid question.
0: Martin that leaves you with Sweden?
2: Not a huge amount to add I would say I'd I'd be concerned with any team that's still starting Sebastian Larsson I I know I'm just going in on all the golden oldies here but um, (laughs) my issue with Sweden that I, I don't see an upset in them at all they're very very functional, but. I can't remember the last time they they sprung a surprise really against a, a stronger team. So they could could comfortably finish second in this group, but they could also could also finish fourth. I, I, I don't, actually no, Slovakia will finish fourth. Um, <laughs> they <laughs> um, could finish second. Yeah, they, 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 they could, could, they could fall. Yeah, they <laughs> could fall. Uh, I, I don't see see them going deep into it at all, just because yeah, I don't I don't I don't think they've got a surprise in them.
0: Well, let's get to the the final group, Group F, and this is easily the best betting heat in terms of a a group winner market. Uh, Germany are just about favourites, which is maybe a bit of a surprise ahead of France, uh, given that France are favourites for the competition. But we'll get on to why, Mark. I'm going to put that one up to you. But Germany, uh, 11 to 8, or 6 to 4 favourites, they are to win the Group France, 17 to 10. Portugal, best price, 9 to 2. And Hungary, 45 to 1. Mark, can you just talk us through that market, I guess, as to why Germany made double the price of France to win the whole thing, but favourites to win the group?
1: Yeah, it's home advantage. Uh, They play all three games in in Munich, whereas France will be away for two games in the group. Portugal the same. So Hungary obviously hosting as well, but Hungary will go away to Germany as well. So clearly just home advantage in their favour. Had a horrendous last three years, really. Uh, Not just the World Cup embarrassment, but a Spain defeat. Macedonia as well in March. So I can see why people want to take aim at them. And I suggest that they are um, there to be shot at, and I agree in terms of the group winner market. But overall, um, for some reason, in the last fortnight, I've started to come around to the idea that they are dangerous. Lowe might have overstayed his welcome, for sure, but uh, he has delivered unbelievable success during his time there. The squad is absolutely dripping in quality, arguably the best midfield in the competition, a wealth of attacking options. The issue is defensively, if he can finally sort some things out there, get a system that works, He's flitted between a three-man defence and a four-man defence, but it's not just the system. There have been some horrendous individual errors. And I just hope he picks the, the right personnel, really, because if he goes with Sula and Rudiger, I quite like Germany, particularly if he drops Kimmich to right-back as well. But there's an opportunity there for, for Chan to be full-back, which doesn't appeal to me at all. Suler as well. Um, so you look at that midfield, you could have Goretzka, Cruz, and Goodigan, which I think is exciting. Gnabry, Muller, Werner, Sane, Havertz vying for forward spot, spots. We can look at the group of death and say one of those teams is probably going to go out. But the reality is only eight teams go out in the in the group stage, really, even if you finish third, you've got a 66% chance of qualifying. So with Hungary's issues right now, one win for any of these three big guns should, in theory, put you in pole position to, to get through uh, to the knockout stages. And from there, Germany, I think, are, are dangerous. Yeah, Germany getting a bit of a positive mention
0: there, uh, as you mentioned. I mean, I've... I've been burnt by having that I mean in Russia having that exact same theory of looking at the side and being like how are they that price and then I watched it and I realised why but hopefully Mark you're, you're right here um, but let's talk about France um, Raj and you know France are the tournament favourites they are the world champions and they come to this with an absolute embarrassment of riches throughout the whole squad
3: they, they've got a fantastic squad probably the best squad on paper the return of carrying Benzema only adds to that really doesn't it I think that <laughs>
0: Poorly, <laughs> jury.
3: Yeah, I, I can't see him getting another head of Benzema, I'm afraid. But no. he was probably um, one of their probably weaknesses in the last World Cup because he didn't really he didn't score. I don't think in the World Cup last time. Jury, obviously he did play for link up role, but Benzema has got that link up side, but he's also got the goals on top. I think there were some positive flashes even in the friendly against Wales yesterday. Benzema was getting his shots off. There was a bit of chemistry with Mbappe and Griezmann. Deschamps lined up in a 4-4-2 diamond to try and get them all into the side. Griezmann has a 10, Mbappe and Benzema as the strikers. Then a the diamond, I think Tolisso was at the base with Pogba and Rabiot. You expect Kante to come in for Tolisso and Pogba and Rabiot to keep their slots but yeah, I think the only thing that I have about that diamond is Deschamps plays very defensive fullbacks. He plays Lucas Hernandez, who is a natural centre-back at left-back, and he plays Benjamin Pavard, again a natural centre-back at right-back. That might be the only thing that limits them when it comes to the latter stages, when they're trying to break a team down. Do they have that width with that system to hurt teams? That might be a problem for them. Um, but other than that, the squad stacked and definitely one
2: of the favourites of the tournament.
0: Yeah, Martinet, anything you can add to, to France's well-known chances of, of doing the double here?
2: Personally, I think Luka Hernandez is probably one of their better one, one of their best two centre-backs. But Rafael Varane's form would concern me slightly. Didn't have a very good season with Real Madrid, lots of errors. So I don't think he's as strong as he's being billed ahead of this tournament. I don't really think there's any team that comes into the tournament with a rock-solid centre-back pairing. And most would point to France and say that theirs is one of the strongest. I'm not entirely convinced by that. But I just think they've, they've got enough goals in the team to just fire them to safety. And you've got N'Golo Cante in front of that defence, then you probably don't need the defence at all. Rightly favourites for the tournament, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, unsurprisingly, Kylian Mbappe, favourite to be best player of the tournament. You can find those prices up on OddsChecker and on the app as well. Kylian Mbappe, 10 to 1 to win that gong, Griezmann 20-1, to Pogba 33s and N'Golo Kante 25s as well. So a few French players, who, if they are going to justify favouritism and win the trophy, you'd think probably one of those four will come out on top in that market. Portugal and other sides, Mark, who are maybe being a bit forgotten here because they're in this quite tricky group. But as you mentioned, three probably do go through here uh, and they are a side who have pretty good tournament form uh, in recent times.
1: Yeah, they've got a fantastic coach in Fernando Santos. Uh, he's the kind of guy I want to get behind in tournament football, particularly knockout football. His record with Portugal is unreal. Four competitive defeats in 56 games. Uh, he punched above his weight with, with Greece as well. Uh, I just think this team is, is tailor-made for knockout football. Uh, they have evolved since uh, five years ago when they kind of dogged it out, didn't they, really? Um, it was Ronaldo and 10 others, and that's being very harsh, but but it kind of was in, in a certain degree. Um but they've got match winners everywhere now, which is really quite exciting for Portuguese fans. Um, you look at the the forwards, uh, Ronaldo obviously, but Bernardo, uh, Bruno Fernandes, Xabi Felix, Jota. You know, only four of those. There's four of those, and only three players can play out of the four. So you know, they're going to have firepower from the bench with Andre Silva as well, who's in an outstanding season in Germany. There are concerns, as Martin says, about defence. Most teams do. Um, Ruben Diaz has had a great season, but you're looking at. Uh, Jose Font or Pepe, with 37 and 38 now, both have had great seasons. It has to be said, but you know they're not going to be able to play uh, two games a week, so there might be a bit of alteration or alternate, you know, players coming in and out there. But um, defend- uh, defensively, at fullbacks as well, they're very strong, very set-minded. Cancelo and Guerrero. I like them. I think there are a couple of concerns about fatigue and fitness. Most of those players now are at massive European clubs, and most of them are playing in European finals as well. So, is there enough time to recover and get ready for? what is a difficult group considering they're playing two games away um one well in budapest against hungary and obviously munich in, against germany but yeah i think three points puts you in a, a decent spot to qualify uh, i'd back them to get at least a point off france and or germany so uh, and then you're in knockout rounds and i don't think many teams would fancy or relish playing a portugal team led by fernando santos given that this is
0: you know the closest thing we're going to get to a group of death let's just go through each of you who you think wins the group Uh, starting with you Raj and and why Uh,
3: I think the French will end up doing it Um, I think obviously they've got the most individual talent on paper and I think the Portuguese they do lack something in in the big games they had uh, two Nations League games against France earlier in the year they drew one and they lost the other so France probably have
2: that edge against them so yeah probably France first Portugal second Germany third Martin I would agree um, that would be my order as well. Uh, Portugal, where, where I had my money a few months ago, I got them at 14s to win it. Uh, starting 11s, so, so strong. So much, so much better than it was five years ago. So, yeah, I, I think France will win the group, but in terms of the value, I may well go for Portugal. But that said, I don't think uh, the home advantage thing is, is, is massive for France. They actually, don't actually have a great record in France and lost to Finland recently, obviously in a friendly... They're not world beaters in France. I don't think that's that's a big impact. So I definitely don't see value in, in Germany topping this group at all.
1: Mark, well, yeah, I echo the thoughts. France to <laughs> France to win the group and Portugal to come in second. Uh, there might be an opportunity there for Germany to get second, just because I think Portugal are quite slow and steady. Still, they might have those outstanding players in forward areas, but they they'll be quite happy to accumulate points any way they can and settle for points, knowing that you know, be hungry in the, in the opener and they've got an opportunity to qualify. So. France against Germany what a mouthwatering match to to kick off group f you know I can't wait for that one
0: yeah and uh, the France Portugal dual forecast is 4 to 1 best price uh, anything to add on Hungary obviously uh, sobaslai is injured which is a massive shame um but could they throw up anything of a surprise no <laughs> uh, <laughs> like you say
2: sobaslai is the is the quality in the team they've got peter Galashy, is a very good goalkeeper Willie orban Good centre back Attila Sadai is a very good centre back as well. Defensively, they're pretty good, so that so they could frustrate, a, they could frustrate a team in this group. I don't necessarily think they'll get zero points. I think they could get a draw somewhere. But yeah, that that loss of Zaboslai is is huge.
0: Yeah, massive shame. One of the players I think we were quite, well, everyone was quite excited to see playing on the biggest stage. Uh, shame we're not going to be treated to that this time around. But I'm sure he's going to have some other big days uh, in the sun before we finish this video and pod what i'm going to do rather than asking you for your best bets i'm going to ask each of you to run through the tournament as you see it your most likely version of events so i'm going to ask you for your winner your favorite to fall at the group stage so one of these teams we've, we've discussed who are up there with the favorites but you think they're not going to get through the group the top scorer the player of the tournament and the breakthrough star Raj, I'm afraid I'm coming to you because you were. it's been the longest since you last spoke, so you're going to have to have first round. <laughs>
3: sure. I'll start with Breakthrough break Star. I think my Breakthrough Star is going to be Nico Barella. I think Italy are going to go long into the tournament, and Barella, I think, combines everything you want in a midfielder. He's very silky on the ball. He's creative. He can pop up with a goal, and he's got that aggression off the ball, which you probably wouldn't associate with most Italian midfielders in the past, but he's got that. So, Barella's my breakout star. Top scorer, I'm probably going to go... For a boring one, I think Karim Benzema is going to get be the, mm. win the golden boot. I think that that chemistry he's going to have with Griezmann and Mbappe, that's going to just create a lot of chances for him. I think we saw that against Wales yesterday. Uh, one of the goals did come from one of his shots falling into the path of uh, one of his teammates. And winners are probably going on the same theme, as I mentioned in my breakthrough. So I think Italy could end up actually winning. I think this winning mentality that they've, brought, uh, they, they've bred throughout the last year or so, They've got a 25-match unbeaten run. So I think that might carry them over the line. That's going to key. And I think they now com- combine the defensive solidity with playing that more expressive brand of football. And if mobile clicks, it's a big if. But if he can click, those guys are my winners.
0: Who's your vulnerable favourite? Who's, who's crashing out?
3: Uh, who's crashing out? I'm going to say the Dutch. I think the Dutch could end up on the end of a few bad scorelines for them, even though they have got a fairly okay group on paper. I think you saw against Turkey, it doesn't take a lot to break through them. You saw that the same against Scotland last night. So maybe the Dutch end up third and don't end up as one of those third-place teams that qualify. Uh, that would probably be my uh, best bet.
0: And final one, player of the tournament. You said Barella for young player. Who's going to who's gonna get the player the player going?
3: That's a tricky one, actually. Uh, if, so if I'm going with the Italians for the winner, it has to be an Italian. So I'll probably go with Verratti. I think Marathi is going to be the key man for them. Uh, I think even you saw in that Man City Champions League tie, he was one of the standouts for PSG. He was the guy who could evade that aggressive Man City press and play through it. And I think people, well, I think he gets a bit of an unfair rep at times, He is a world-class player. People say he shouldn't have gone to PSG and stayed there so long. But I think this is a tournament people start giving him the respect he deserves.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can scarcely think of a player in European football who's, one so little who deserves to win a, a lot more. And I think it'd be very fitting for Marco Verratti to win a, a Euros and to get player of the tournament. Looking at the, the young player market, borello is uh, 25 to 1. So a fairly big price there. Top goal scorer, Benzema, is 18 to 1. 11 to 1, of course, Italy, to win the whole thing. And in terms of player of the tournament, we've got Verratti coming at, in at 60 to 1. So a few big price fancies there for fans of, of Raj. On then to Martin, Talk us through your your likely version of Euro 2020.
2: I'll start, as Raj did, with... It's definitely not a breakout star. It's more of a sort of young player of the tournament um, pick. I fancy Mason Mount. I think, um, I think England could get to the final, uh, personally. Certainly thinking England to get to the semis. Probably need to get to the final... Sweating. Uh, ..to win one of these sort of top player awards. But I think there's probably value in Mason Mount. Um, just been sensational this season. I, I was one of those who wasn't wholly convinced, but I think if you're looking at the England team now, you go Kane, Maguire, Mount as the top three, uh, as the sort of certain picks. So he's developed so much. A lot of people fancy Foden, but I think he'd probably wrote in, rotate in and out a little bit more. In terms of player of the tournament, it's interesting that each of the last six winners of the player of the tournament at the Euros have come from the winners. So, that's, so you might expect that, but that's actually the opposite in the World Cup. None of the last six winners of the World Cup have had the player of the tournament. So, yeah, he's the East will last six from the Euro, so I think France will win. So there's another one <laughs> off the checklist. <laughs> and I think the value is in N'Golo Kante to be the player of the tournament, just because he's sensational when he's on form, which he is now, and he's just so lovable. And I think I think that counts for something. He's um, the narrative
0: winner, isn't he? I mean, he's the exactly. one who, it doesn't take much for people to, to jump exactly. on board.
2: People will just want to see his little smile with the, with the trophy, and that's it.
0: <laughs> we need top goal scorer, and then you're done, I think. Uh, and, the, and the vulnerable Favre, and the one who's going to crash out.
2: In terms of the favourites, it's difficult to look past Netherlands. I'm with Varad on that one in terms of the favourites. In terms of a team that I think will crash out, um, probably against the odds, I'd maybe say Switzerland, but certainly not among, among the favourites. Top goal scorer, i go Romelu Lukaku, just because I think he'll rack them up in the group stages. And that's, that's all important. I don't see a France player getting it just because, one, they spread the goals around. Two, they're not actually that exciting uh, a lot of the time and um, the group so yeah I think um, Lukaku's group plays into his hands same same with Kane so I can see why they're the top two in the golden boot market but yeah I'd, I'd go with Lukaku
0: Lukaku 15-2 with Skybet Skybet also top price on Mount to be young player of the tournament at 13-2 to Kante as I say 25-1 to best price um, for player of the tournament I think that has wrapped up the prices and France to win it of course uh, which we've already mentioned at the top they are best priced five to one finally Mark give us your your what you reckon how you think it's going to play out
1: yes yeah, so I've got France down as my my likeliest winners I think you need to eliminate which team has got the the fewest flaws and I think France come out on top in that regard yes I haven't got home advantage compared to the others, but. This is effectively eight of the starting eleven that won the World Cup, and arguably a better four with the changes that have been made in the squad as well. So um, it's going to be very difficult to stop them, I think. And Deschamps, you've got a pragmatist who's capable of. Well, he's got course and distance form now as a player and a coach to to guide his team through, and I think that experience is is key. Just a, a question mark over the team spirit um, with Benzema coming back into the fold and, and Rabio too after being. The two of them were jettisoned at different periods. I presume he's already discussed it with senior players, so it's all good. But something to just bear in mind: the French are known to have a, a wobbly off the field now and again. But um, I think they will go well. Uh, a favourite to fall. I can't echo the guy's thoughts there about the Netherlands. I just think Germany probably one to, to watch, but uh, I think they've got enough to, to get through that group, considering Hungary are in it and the issues they're facing. So Netherlands would be the one, just because they're such a short price as well. Uh, I don't think they warrant it right now at all. Uh, top goal scorer Lukaku can't add anything else really than what's been said. But apart from he might well be on penalties as well. He has been recently, but that's because Eden Hazard has barely played for Belgium for for quite some time. He normally was the penalty taker, so he is the captain. So whether he takes responsibility again. We don't know, but at the moment, Lukaku has been a penalty taker, and I think that could be essential, really, for a top goal scorer. But breakthrough star, I, I struggled, really, to find someone who we didn't really know who might be able to go go the distance. So I've kind of gone for someone uh, from an unfashionable team who I think could go better than the odds suggest, and that's um, Kulizewski for Sweden. Um, he's only 21, very versatile, quite an exciting prospect. He hasn't had the greatest season with Juventus, but I think he's such a key player for this Sweden team with his versatility, versatility, he's got pace, uh, he's a very hard worker, he's physical as well, and we've, he's shown before that he can perform at the highest level, so I like him. And what was the other one? Player of the oh, Tournament. The tournament. Mm. Yeah, again, can say if you're going to pick France to, to win the tournament, uh, he is someone who's going to be there or thereabouts. In terms of goals, Martin's right, they can you know, spread them around the front three, um, it's very difficult to pick out a single player there, but... Kante is going to be central to, to any progress that they make, particularly if they get to the final.
0: It is Evsky the only one there that hadn't been mentioned already, 33-1 to 1 he is for young player of the tournament. And that brings us to a close. Thank you very much to Mark Martin and Raj. You guys have been absolutely excellent. I'm going to go and have Quite a few plays, I think, as soon as we stop on this call. But thank you as well for listening or watching the Odds Checker Betting Show. This has been the Euro 2020 preview. It's been sponsored by Skybet, they are the number one destination for football betting throughout the summer. Finally, please make sure you like this video and subscribe to our channel. We have more big sporting previews coming up in June with Royal Ascot and the US Open taking centre stage. You'll find those on the YouTube channel or on all podcast platforms as well. Most importantly, though, please do enjoy the Euros. Hopefully we flagged up some value for you there and please ensure that you do gamble
3: responsibly.